Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at viking.com. Coming up on the Money Beat podcast, big banks reporting earnings. What can we expect? What are we going to hear? And also, what is Wells Fargo's new CEO going to say? We're going to break it down for you. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Money Beat Podcast. Paul and Stephen here in the studio. And as you know, I'm sure you all know, earnings season is just about underway. My favorite time every three months. Every three months. Four times a year. Better than Christmas, baby. Four times a year. So, earnings season. Alcoa got out of the way this week. They came in earlier. But what is really going to be in focus are the banks. And on Friday, we have a, a trifecta of gigantic names for you. Not just a trifecta. Let's not you know undercut PNC here. Yeah, come on, guys. Oh, I'm sorry. All right. Uh, 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 what's Four. A, a, a quadfecta? What is that quadfecta, then? Well, if it's more than three, what is it? Uh, Four big banks report, J.P. Morgan, City, Wells Fargo, and PNC. And to preview that, we brought in two of our top minds on the subject of banks, Rachel Louise Ensign and Aaron Lucchetti. Let's talk some bank earnings, folks. Uh, for, I, I have a question. Why, why are all these banks going on Friday morning at basically the same time? And why are they doing that to us, who have to try and cover all <laughs> right. that? Right? Did they check with us? I don't think they. I don't with think us. they did. Did they? Well, J.P. Morgan usually goes first, uh, and they they are on the first day again, joined by Wells and City. Um, it's kind of a quirk of the calendar, but this time there's a lot of news out of Wells Fargo because they have a new CEO um, Heard a who, who will make his that. debut yeah. on the call on Friday. So usually J.P. Morgan gets all the eyeballs and the spotlight, uh, but this time a lot of people will be focused on Wells Fargo as well. Will what? they? Will they be focused on that more than even the earnings numbers? I mean, obviously, the earnings numbers are outrageous, yeah. But, I mean, like, is the big focus then the new CEO? Well, the quarter itself is is going to be interesting, but not expected to be a groundbreaking, you know, uh, quarter in terms of huge increases or declines. Uh, commercial lending is soft, uh, which Rachel wrote about this week. Yeah, we're uh, going to talk about that. The Wall Street businesses are mixed, but building on some momentum from the second quarter. And this is the first quarter we'll see sort of post-Brexit from the banks, how how the markets reacted, how the, the European businesses look. So there's a lot of interesting stuff to look at under the hood at the at the four big banks reporting on Friday. However, with Wells, there's a whole host of other questions, regulatory because of their sales practice scandal, and just the new CEO thrust into the spotlight. They had planned sort of to bring him in over time um, gradually. Uh, he What's was, the guy's name again? Tim I Sloan is the Tim new Sloan, CEO okay. of Wells. He replaces okay. John Stumpf, who resigned abruptly on Wednesday. Um, the plan was generally thought to be Sloan would take over when Stumpf hit his 65-year-old retirement age. Um, but because of the scandal, Stumpf left uh, early and uh, effective immediately. Sloan takes over. He'll do the, He'll the do calls the call. on, on Friday. And the question for them is, okay, you'd been this bank that everyone had, had looked to with kind of a halo, and they took a lot of market share because they were viewed as doing things the right way and because they had a pretty aggressive sales culture, which didn't get much press. Um, now they're kind of in the penalty box. So the question is, how how long uh, does that last? How much business do they lose? And and will will folks go to different banks like PNC and J P Morgan? Yeah, it does feel with Wells like the results are kind of very secondary. It's really going to be a focus on what uh, Sloan says on the call and what steps they are to be moved 
past this sort of scandal. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty unusual uh, post-crisis for this sort of thing to happen. Consider that the last time a big six bank um, lost its CEO, uh, Mitt Romney and Barack Obama were tangled in a tight presidential race. So it's been four years since a big bank lost its CEO. That's when Vic from Pandit left Citigroup. That's what I was going to ask. I was like, yeah. can anyone name that bank? Yeah, no, mm-hmm. good trivia. And Michael Corbett took over. Um, John Stump had run well since 2007. So a lot of a lot of um, stability in the corner offices of big banks, in part, I think, because the crisis was so destabilizing that regulators and shareholders and pretty much everyone involved wanted sort of stable leadership at the banks, not a lot of moving parts, you know, internal coups, these types of things are frowned upon. Um, and so very stable leadership at all the big banks. But this this is uh, the first big change we've seen in a while. One of the things that you looking at the analyst notes this morning, there was a sense with Wells that it has a deep bench. And, you know, where you are, you know, the this is going to be a transition, and obviously, and it's a, always a big deal when you lose your CEO, that they had a management team in place that this was not going to be a big you know, change for them. Yeah. They had they, a strong management team. They've, they've looked internally. Um, uh, Tim Sloan has been at the bank for about three decades, but has never been closely affiliated with the retail businesses, um, which are the ones where the sales practice scandals happened. Um, just to, to step back for a second, the sales scandals generally involved uh, – Tellers, bankers, people who worked in the branches signing up customers unwittingly for credit cards and accounts they didn't ask for, sometimes leading to unwanted fees uh, and hurting those customers' credit scores. So there was real damage, uh, and it really broke the trust in in many ways. It's something that that you would never imagine a a reputable bank would do on such a grand scale. So Tim Sloan has been the CFO and the chief operating officer of the company but didn't really get his hands dirty in the retail businesses enough to be targeted yet – I mean, the investigations are ongoing. We'll see where things lead. But he was viewed as the best person to take over. Now, notably, he's not the chairman. The outside chairman, Stephen Sanger from General Mills, a retired CEO there, is going to run the board, and uh, Sloan will be the CEO. So less less power in the CEO now than, than before. So big changes at Wells Fargo, and Friday morning is the really the first time the public gets to see – Gets, gets a look at it and gets asked questions too, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. in some ways, it's it's not totally surprising the way it unfolded, especially given that the two congressional hearings that John Stump, the old CEO, went to went so badly. Right now, um, Sloan gets to turn the page, start fresh, yeah. deal with a much friendlier audience with shareholders. Right. Uh, on Let's, the uh, you know, th- there's a lot more to talk about, Rachel. We're going to get into your story, and we're going to talk more about the banks. But but I actually think this is probably a good time to take a break because that kind of makes the Wells Fargo thing separate. So let's take a break. We're going to come back on the other side of this. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. Robert Half is here to help. Our recruiting professionals utilize our proprietary AI to connect businesses with highly skilled talent. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. This message. I'm Katie Hill. And I'm Quentin Fottrell. There's too many markets and more where we talk about the most fascinating personal finance stories of the week. The selfie now kills more people annually than sharks. 75% of Americans tip less than 20%. You want to collect Pikachu? Collect Pikachu. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a cotton picking minute. What's so special about a Pikachu? For more podcasts, check us out at wsj.com slash podcast. Become a subscriber on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. And now look for us on the Google Play Music app on Android devices. Money, markets and more. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously.
Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Money Beat Podcast. And everyone, uh, for more great podcasts that we have here at the Journal, you can check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts. We have a lot out there for you. I'd like to mention some of the names. We've got Your Money Matters, WSJ Opinion, Tech News Briefing, Heard on the Street, Speakeasy, Jason Gay's Free For All, What's News. You can follow us on Twitter. We are at WSJ Podcasts. And you can become a subscriber on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and also your Google Play Music app on your Android devices. We're talking about bank earnings, Paul and Stephen here in the studio with Aaron Lucchetti and Rachel Louise Ensign. And Rachel, um, I, I want to talk now about a story that you did, talking about one specific business line for the banks. You were talking about bank earnings, folks. Uh, one specific business line for the banks that had a, a surprisingly weak third quarter. Yeah, so the Federal Reserve data show that commercial lending, so lending from banks to businesses, uh, basically just stopped growing last quarter. In fact, it's down a little bit. And that's the first time in six years that it's happened. And no one really knows why this is happening. There are a lot of theories. Um, One bank CEO basically said, anyone's guess is as good as mine. So it's a bit of a mystery, but it's definitely not good for banks because banks have relied on very rapid growth in these loans to businesses in the last few years to keep their loan growth up um, and kind of help forestall the effects of low rates, which are very bad for bank profits. Right, right. Has, has this been one of the sort of the, the business lines that have... So so what I'm getting is that this has been one of the business lines that has sort of absorbed slowness in other mm-hmm. areas. So now if this goes down too, that becomes an even bigger problem. Yeah, it's definitely a lot of analysts are saying this is going to be one of the biggest issues for banks in the quarter. You know, there have been some downgrades to earnings expectations based on this. And um, I mean, it's just I think on the calls, we're going to get a lot more context as to why this is happening Mm -hmm. at the banks. You know, maybe some of the CEOs have kind of developed a thesis as to why this is since they talked in September last um, but yeah, it's it's basically just a big mystery, and it's really not good for banks that this yeah. is happening. It's also not, pretty and, interesting in the economy as well. I mean, we're yeah. dealing with an economy that's yes. growing slowly. The Fed is trying to decide when to raise rates and what the reaction will be when when rates go up. I mean, that's a really interesting data point that that corporations have taken a pause in their lending. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, I mean, you listen to you know Fed Chairwoman Janet Yellen talk, and one of the things she constantly talks about is business investment. And this speaks mm-hmm. directly to that and the lack of sort of business investing that we're getting, uh, you know, this year and really since the end of the financial crisis. Yeah, there's definitely a view that a lot of the growth, I mean, the annual growth rates on these loans across banks was in the double digits for years after the crisis. Um, So there is a view that that was pretty unsustainable at a time when GDP wasn't really growing that much, just to have companies borrowing and borrowing and borrowing um, when there wasn't that much underlying economic growth and that it was going to end someday and that day maybe now. Right. And it could also oh. look at look at the you know the Fed in its minutes talked about you know sort of like oh, too much leverage on the on mm. corporate balance sheets yesterday. So I mean those those two could also be connected as For you're sure. saying uh, you know companies increasingly you know levered up. Yeah, and, and and one other thing that you're that we're seeing that's that's interesting on this front is just the deal environment is changing a little bit. I mean, M and A was so hot last year and in, in recent years that that as that's um, cooled off a little bit, there's less need for for debt fueled M um, and A and LBOs. And buybacks are slowing down too. Right, right. Um, I mean, in that front, like, and, and granted, a lot of that was bond issuance, but 
Yeah. I mean, the question that, that I have on this is whether after the election um, some of this comes back or, yeah. you know, it'll be an interesting data point. I mean, Brexit was a very big distraction from the markets. If you were thinking to do an M&A, that, that might have put it off some. Now in the U.S., you have the big election in November. Um, you know, there seems to be a lot of uncertainty out there for dealmakers. Yeah, I think what the banks are hoping for is that all this is is that Brexit scared companies off from borrowing more, making big investments, and then all the craziness around the election has also done the same. And then when it's over, everything will resume and double-digit rates of right. CNI because loan growth will be back. Yeah, corporate <laughs> treasurers need to watch all this content as well. They're just mesmerized by yeah. this fascinating race. <laughs> I can't take well, my eyes off of it. Because the alternative is that the economy is slowing down yeah. and businesses don't want to expand because they're afraid of what's going on, so they're not borrowing as much. The alternative is, is that this ends up not being a one-off. Exactly. That's that's the alternative, and I think that's really, really scary for banks for a yeah. lot of reasons. And you know, they've nodded to that a little bit here and there, but a lot are saying, oh, we're not sure. Oh, maybe it's Brexit, even though you know these banks have no international operations that I write about the regionals, but who knows? On the plus side, the consumer businesses are looking fairly healthy. Mm-hmm. Unemployment continues to be a, a fairly bullish sign, jobs uh, creation. And the uh, the energy sector, which was a big concern in the first half and the latter part of 2015, is, is stabilized. And so that's good for banks who are really worried about high write-offs, lots of impaired loans, lots of bankruptcies in the energy patch. That's stabilized somewhat as oil prices have hit a floor and kind of bounced back a little bit. That's very good for the banks. So the, con- the commercial lending might be a, a sore spot this year for banks, but there's a lot of other things that are doing okay that should prevent it from being a very rough quarter for the likes of B of A, mm-hmm. Goldman Sachs, City, and, and so on. And with interest rates hitting their lowest, our historical lows in July, mm-hmm. I mean, how is the mortgage market, um, you know, sort of looking for banks? I mean, especially given that the housing market has largely been a bright spot for the economy. Uh, this year, yeah, the um, well, mortgages do seem like they're possibly going to be a bright spot. It's one of the types of lending that, as opposed to commercial le- borrowing, is actually up from the prior quarter. So it seems like it it could be good. Um, and and then in terms of the rate picture on the commercial side, um, you know, even though we did see rock bottom rates right after Brexit, which was would have been horrible for banks if it continued through the quarter, um, one benchmark LIBOR has actually moved up a lot. And that may help banks not not be as badly pummeled by what happened in July. Right. Janet Yellen's short-term interest rate is important, but it's not the only rate that, that kind of is important for banks. And LIBOR, as, as Rachel noted, is has perked up. Uh, some of the longer-term uh, bonds have also seen higher yields. So that's that's good for banks. It might help the, the always closely watched NIM, yes, which is net NIM. interest margin for those non-bank gurus. But it, it, I was just going to get to the a, a, a bit the big picture though here. Oh, that's is, where I was going too. I mean, what we're mind talking about. <laughs> right? well, we've been doing this a while. We're on the same we're on the same wavelength, growth. So that's exactly where I wanted to go. I wanted but, to go big picture. Generally speaking, I mean, you know, you have a you have monetary policy, you have regulatory policy across the globe that is not great for banks. Banks are struggling, especially, I mean, you see this in Europe, but it's still true, very true in the United States, are struggling to make money. I mean, how are these numbers going to look in comparison to past years, I guess? Well, that's a great question. The big picture is not very sunny for banks. I mean, the quarter is fine. It's probably not going to be a home run. It's not going to be a strikeout either. Um, But the big picture is banks don't make the kind of money that they used to. They don't take the kinds of risks that they used to. And more and more people are saying, well, they're not supporting the economy like they used to. They can't make loans. Um, 
as freely. They can't uh, take risks as freely, and that hurts the economy. Our colleague Greg Ipp had a very good column on this um, this week that looked at um, banks' price-to-book ratio, and they're they're so cheap that it just shows people are worried about whether banks will continue to make money and do what they've always done for the economy. So some real interesting uh, papers out recently looking at this, and there's kind of a tug-of-war between sort of what I would call the Federal Reserve establishment viewpoint that you have to have tons of capital to keep banks safe, um, and that's the best way for them to move forward and keep the economy growing. The alternative view, which came out in a paper that was co-authored by Larry Summers not that long ago, uh, said, well, capital is important, but if banks aren't making enough profit and if people aren't investing in banks and they're not growing, that could be bad for the economy as well, and we need to look at whether this long-term sort of sluggishness in the banking sector um, has some uh, ill effects that we're not taking into account. Well, what was this? The metric that they looked at, um, Summers, in terms of the, the expectation that bank shares were going to fall by half, or was it their profit was going to fall by half, compared to the financial crisis? Basically, saying the outlook to, uh, for banks from shareholders seems almost worse than it was in 2007 prior to the financial crisis? Well, it looked at the value of their equity and it looked at the value of their share price and it got to the question of even if you have tons of capital and cash on the sidelines, if if people don't have confidence in you, that, that is a problem for the banking sector. And then, you know, the fact that there's not a lot of confidence that they'll grow and and prosper in a big sort of picture way um, kind of trickles down to the concern that they'll be healthy enough to sustain a crisis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think investors buy bank stocks based on what they think the Fed is going to do next at this point. And right now we're kind of in a state of deja vu. It's really similar to where we were last year when, you know, people had waited all of 2015 for a Fed hike thinking it was going to come each time there was a meeting. It finally came in December and banks thought everything was going to get better, maybe four hikes in 2016. and, And we've had none. And so the banks are really dealing with all the same challenges. I mean, they're making money. They're not, not posting a loss, really, but it's hard. And it, it, when you talk to bank executives, you just feel this sense of their jobs are much more grueling than they were before the crisis. And it's just not as fun. Rachel brings up a really good point. It's the bull case to invest in banks right now for a lot of, of investors is the Fed will raise interest rates, and that will kind of formulaically expand their profit margins. It's very cyclical. It, it doesn't seem very secular. It doesn't seem very bullish for the long-term view of the economy that, that most of the reasons people want to invest in banks is because, A, they're super cheap, and, B, rates may go up by 50 basis points. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I mean, I, I think it's interesting just that you know the view is like we're not as concerned about them necessarily blowing up, but we're concerned about them ever making money. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's it's a fair concern. Yeah. And that's a really, if you're an investor, that's a huge concern. <laughs> yeah. I think at this point, I mean, every quarter it, it seems like there's something new. You know, you thought that things couldn't get tougher. You thought it couldn't be more of a grind for banks than it is. And then there's Brexit. Then there's the flattening of the yield curve. You know, now there's the Wells Fargo situation, which I think all the banks are probably going to have to address on their earnings calls this week. You know, what are you doing? Are you taking away incentive compensation? I think most banks have have looked at this and reevaluated it, and that's more regulatory costs. That's potentially 
you know, losing cross-selling revenue if you back off of that. So it's it's just always something else, it seems. One small silver lining is that the banks haven't been pummeled as much in the political debates. Yes, um, that's true. As they were in the primaries, I'm not sure if that's a lining. that that could be a that could be a sign that 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 perhaps I'm not sure if I'd, I'd jump on this bandwagon yet, but perhaps that the the anti-bank sentiment is is changing. That there is some recognition that, that banks have to be profitable uh, and grow for the economy to, to kind of yeah, grow. I don't its, think that's the reason. <laughs> I think they're just yelling about other stuff. Yeah, I think they're just yelling about <laughs> other stuff. I'm not, I'm, well, not, I'm not jumping on the bandwagon. It sounds like you guys aren't even like looking at the bandwagon at that point. Well, uh, you know what we will be looking at? Earnings on Friday morning from the big banks. Aaron Lucchetti, Rachel Louise Ensign, thank you very much. Everyone, thanks for listening. We'll catch up with you real soon. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.